0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nouri and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful, self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women get to the root cause of their period problems and hormonal imbalances. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Stephanie Estima, to our show today. As you know, I truly believe your success is largely tied to your health. And Dr. Stephanie Estima is all about helping women realize their self-worth and feel beautiful, which always starts from the inside. She's had over 3.5 million article reads with her content on media and has helped thousands of women lose weight, regulate hormones, and get off medications with her signature program. Dr. Estima is a chiropractor with a special interest in metabolism, functional neurology, and body composition. She's the creator of the Estima Diet, host of The Better Podcast, and author of the best-selling book, The Betty Body. We talked to Stephanie about all things hormones, from how to go from treating your period as an archenemy to celebrating its arrival every month. Yes, that is possible. And ways to balance your hormones so you can have better health, better minds, and a more fulfilling and successful life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Steema. I'm so excited for our conversation. I'm a big fan of you and your work, so it's really a true honor that you're with us today. Thank you.
1: Oh, the feeling is mutual. I'm a big fan of yours and just so honored to be here. So happy to be here. Yes, it's my
0: honor. Well, I want to jump right into it because there's so much for us to talk about. And I actually want to start with a big question. You know, there's so many women who are suffering from painful periods and PMS symptoms that they think are normal. So can you talk to us about why we as women should not consider these types of symptoms normal?
1: Yes, good. I love this. So I think... One of the things I'll start off by saying is that I think that in our society, we've typically normalized, as you mentioned, we've normalized menstrual pain. It's like, oh, I'm on my period, you know, taking some Midol. Oh, I'm on my period. You know how it is. And there's, there can be some discomfort, but I do want to distinguish between what's normal and what's common, right? So what is normal is for there to be some discomfort, maybe day one, day two of your cycle starting like your bleed week but needing to medicate to silence symptoms, not being able to engage in ADLs or activities of daily living, like going to work, engaging with being social, locking yourself in a room because you have a splitting headache or you're doubled over in pain. These things are not normal. And I think that The more that we start having conversations like like this, the more that we can educate our women because we're not really educated in school. I mean, there's like that one awkward sex ed class that we all have, right. Where there's like a banana and they're talking about condoms (laughs) and safe sex, but we don't actually talk. And maybe there's, you know, a brief overview of like the female menstrual cycle. We're not really taught about our fertility, but I think we are often taught to fear our fertility. And I think that when we think about menstrual pain specifically, this is a, I talk about the menstrual cycle particularly the bleed week as like your hormonal report card. This is your body telling you how well you did managing your stress, eating the foods that nourish you with your movement, you know, with your sleep over the last 28 or 29 or so days. And if you are having symptoms, doesn't mean you're broken. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, but there are clues that your body is leaving you. There are breadcrumbs, if you will, for you to follow that trail to be able to say, okay, so what are these symptoms? how can I decipher what these symptoms mean? And what are some action steps that I can take to help rectify them? Because symptoms around menstrual, like there are some, you can feel crampy day one, day two, that's the uterus contracting. We like, I get it. But if you are not able to go to work or not able to, to engage in the activities that you normally do, that is abnormal. And we want to be able to work to fix that.
0: Yes. And you know, I wish I knew all this back in the day because I was that person and we'll go into your story in a little bit, just killing myself every month, self-medicating and not even thinking that this could be abnormal, or this is like a red flag in my body. So I'm so pumped about this conversation because I think there's so many nuggets that women listening today are going to learn from you. So stepping back a little bit, big picture, what do you think women are doing? Like whether it's two or three things in their life that might be contributing to these hormonal imbalances or painful periods that they might be feeling?
1: Yeah. Great question. I think it varies from person to person, but there are patterns, you know, I've been a clinician now for 17 years, 18 years. And I think that there's a couple of patterns that typically emerge. So one, and the big one that everyone likes to forget, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, is stress management. So you mentioned it like type A personality, like punching through the pain. Like I just got to get this this deadline. I just have this deadline and I'm just going to put my head down, punch out the work and ignore my body. And I think that you don't have to be a career woman to experience that. You could be a stay at home mom who is trying to juggle the laborious schedule of raising children and running the home and all of those things. So I think stress management is really big. And when we think about typically you know, when you think about what stress is, a lot of times, you know, you may envision, you know, someone who's like red in the face and screaming and has a short fuse. And while those things can certainly be true, I think it often for women is, you know, if I were to say to you and you're stressed out, I would say, Hey, like, how are you doing? You might say, I'm great. Exactly. How are you? You wouldn't be like, God, like work. And like, I just got married and I just have all this, like, you know, we have all these bills. You're not going to go into that. And I think that we want to start to have conversations about what stress looks like, what it does to the body, because it absolutely alters your menstrual cycle, Mm -hmm. low levels, like chronic low grade stress or inflammation absolutely can change the quality of your menstrual cycle, the length, your bleed week, your experience as a woman. So that's sort of the first thing that I would say most women are dealing with and just by nature of being in a modern you know if you're listening to this on a podcast app you are living in a modern society and there's a lot of stressors that go against Our innate female physiology. So we are under bright lights. You know, we're usually indoors most of the day, right? Talking to our computers as we're doing right now. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, we stay inside. And then, of course, when we go outside, what's the first thing we do? We put on sunglasses, right? To protect ourselves from the sun. So we're not, you know, we're not getting like natural sunlight the way I think we are made by design. A couple other things I would say is a lot of, When we think about exercise and movement, we often think about a very specialized type of movement. So we might think of the hour in the morning that you do your weights, or the hour, you know, whatever time it is that you do your cardio class or your yoga class or whatever it is. And those are all great, big, big fans of all of those. But I think that we also want to be thinking about how can we get more general movement through the day because that's really that's really the key it's this non specialized general movement the technical term for the cool cats that are listening is called non exercise activity thermogenesis or neat for short it's like the walks that you take it's the you know when you walk the dog when you putter around the kitchen when you do your gardening all of these non specific movements are really really important for not only lowering stress which we were just talking about Mm -hmm. but also bringing a lot of blood and a lot of focus into the brain, which helps us make a particular area in the brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's basically like the front part of, it's like right behind your forehead. And this area of the brain helps us make better decisions. It helps us think about the future. It helps us with creativity. It's involved with attenuating or lowering anxiety and depression. And it help. It. There's so many beautiful things that happen when we're in this area of our brain. So non-specific movement, really, really big fan of that. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, so we have stress, we have movement. And then I would say the, the other big one would be nutrition. So we are not again, eating in the way that our genes require and expect of us again, being in that modern society, we are going, we're on Uber eats. We're calling in food for the evening. Cause we don't have time to cook or, you know, we're eating a lot of processed foods, which have, You know, we can get into that or not, but they have things that alter the microbiome. They have things that can alter our gut brain access. There's a lot of things that can be really disruptive and and be pro-inflammatory. So those are like the big one, two, three, it's like stress nutrition movement.
0: Yeah. And we'll dig in a little bit later in the interview, more detail around stress, movement, and nutrition, because it's so key to every aspect of your menstrual cycle. But before we go there, I'd love to talk more about your story and life growing up. You know, what do you think are some of the things that you think contributed to your own personal horrible periods and what you experienced for a lot of your life?
1: Yeah. I very much thought that it was my punishment every month for being a woman is I got this period every month because my periods were horrible. I had to take a lot of medication. I was on for a while. Anaprox, those little very heavy duty painkillers. And I completely continued to ignore it. It was just like, well, I'm a woman. This is how it is. Never really thinking, Hey, this is my body's way of trying to talk to me and say, Hey girl, like maybe you want to take it down a notch. Like this is too much. Like the way that you're gunning your foot on the gas pedal. This is too much for the physical limitations of your matter. So I suffered for decades from my teen years. I wrote about this in my book, The Betty Body. I actually didn't put this in the Betty, this, what I'm about to tell you in there, but I remember very clearly there was one, I was at the mall with my friends, you know, we were hanging out and then I was leaving to go home. And I got my period and I was in so much pain that I just lay in the back seat of the car for hours because I didn't trust myself to drive because it was, I was in so my breasts were angry, but there was so much pain in my lower back and in my uterus from some of the cramping that I just basically tried to sleep it off in the Mm. backseat of my car. So that's just to give you a sort of picture of what I was constantly dealing with as a practitioner running an office. So I was seeing patients. I saw patients for 16 years in a brick and mortar practice in Toronto, Canada. And I would, the day, the first two days of my Cycle when I was, I knew I was going into the clinic seeing patients. I would always bring two pairs of pants because I always knew that the flow was going to be heavy enough that I was going to have this sort of hemorrhagic like flow that was going to bleed through whatever cup, whatever pad, whatever sort of device I was using through my pants. So that was to kind of give you a a sense of what my own story is like. It really wasn't until there were a couple of things that happened at the same time. So The clinic that I mentioned, there was a fire, Mm. the clinic burned down. And at the same time, I was going through a divorce with my now ex-husband, who we are now great friends, but at the time, you know, young children, it doesn't matter how awake and conscious you are. It's really it's heartbreaking because your family is breaking up. And so there was a lot of things that I just felt like I had hit rock bottom, like my family life, the things that I had dreamed about for so long were now unraveling like a ball of yarn and my clinic was gone. So I had to work really hard to found a new space, started the rentals, all that stuff. Took my family to Europe for a vacation and I talk about this in the book. It was Italy, of course, you know, everything's better best in Italy, place. right? Yeah. <laughs> best place ever. Exactly. I know you have a, an affinity there. You ha- used to live there, right? Yeah. When I was very, very young, I wish we stayed, but yeah, such a beautiful country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's so wonderful. And they take such pride in their food. Like that's one, of, I just absolutely love the Italians for, you know, you can go to like the smallest little dingiest thing off the side of the highway. And it's like the best panini you've ever had. Seriously? And like the espresso is like, they know. Oh, there espresso. So yeah, so we went to Italy, my sons were playing in the water and I was on the beach like sleeping, getting lots of natural sunlight, lots of natural like lots of walking, that non-specific general movement a lot like we'd walk to the lunch place and we'd walk back. Then we walked to the dinner place and so on and so forth. And to, uh, we were there for about 3 weeks and at the end of that trip I got my period. And normally that would be the worst thing. Normally that would be the thing that would ruin the the trip. You know, exactly. like me with the mydol hauled up in the in the hotel room and not not really able to do much. But it wasn't like that at all. It was very easy. It wasn't painful. My I didn't have to lie down for hours. It just sort of came and went. Mm. I was really intrigued by that. It was it was the first time that I really had ever re- recalled having. Period like that, that didn't throw me down for the count for at least a day or more. So, when we came back home, it was really my curiosity around, like, okay, so let me just like disassemble everything about that trip. So, yes, everything's better in Italy the coffee, the paninis, the pasta. You know, I wasn't eating keto, I was just like eating what I wanted. What were some of the things that really helped move the needle for me in that really short period of time? Like, to have decades of painful periods and have decades of just miserable menstruation to go from that, to feel like this is what it feels like to menstruate like a goddess. Like what is it? What is it? Right. So that was really kind of the birth of not only the book, but some of the protocols I, you know, maybe we'll get to talk to you about today around like cycling and eating in accordance with your menstrual cycle. I think that's really important moving in accordance with your menstrual cycle. And really coming to an understanding, at least this has been my own process and and the clients that I've worked with coming to an understanding that we're not little men, even though it's really easy to follow male led protocols, because that's where a lot of the research lies is in research that's looked at men. I mean, it's getting better now, but traditionally a lot of the standards of practice have been they're based on literature. That's male. But we're not little men. And so when we can understand the ebbs and flows of our hormonal landscape, like how it's always changing, then we can really begin to come into our own skin and really be able to alter both the internal environment and the external environment to be supportive of who we are.
0: was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month, and that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game-changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods go to be slash free once again it's biowellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle we included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for ten dollars off for all of our behind her empire listeners i know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as i do thanks for listening and now let's get back to the show Exactly. And I'd love for you to talk more about the different phases of a woman's hormonal cycle. I think you speak so eloquently about it. And it's something I just learned maybe a year and a half ago. So I'd love for you to share more about that.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. So when we're thinking about 30,000 foot view, like forest from the trees kind of thing, the length of a cycle is somewhere between 26 and 33, you know, maybe 34 days, right? So you won't be the same every month. Although some women are like, I'm 28 days to the letter. I've been doing it like that for 20 years. That's yeah. just, and so you can have that. And then you, if you're tracking it, you can also notice some variances. So maybe for me, for example, I know that when I'm ovulating from my right ovary, I am a 29 day girl. And when I ovulate from my left ovary, I'm 27. No way, Stephanie. Oh my gosh. Fascinating. (laughs) I got to step up my game. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that you can just get that data from just tracking your, tracking your cycle. So if you, I use an app called clue, you know, no affiliation. I just really like it. If you look back in your history, like for me, it's like 29, 27, 29, 27, 29, 27. So length of the cycle, really important for you to know because anything under 26 we are concerned with hormonal imbalances like luteal phase insufficiency not enough progesterone we often see that as well in perimenopause late stage perimenopause and then over when you are too long as well there's there's also issues as well so there may be issues of ovulation maybe we have issues around luteinizing hormone we don't have enough that's not sufficient estrogen in the follicular phase there's a lot of different issues that can happen there so that kind of 26 to 33 days is the length. Mm-hmm. So from there, we want to think about what are some of the different phases? That was your original question. So generally your menstrual cycle, which is that 26 to 33 days can be divided into two phases, follicular and luteal follicular, all about the follicle. What we're trying to do is we're trying to develop one follicle is going to be, there's going to be many that develop at the same time, but one lucky one is going to be chosen, which houses the egg inside it. And then the luteal phase is once, you know, assuming that ovulation has taken place. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. Assuming that ovulation has taken place, this is where we see the follicle, the artist formerly known as the follicle, we now call it the corpus luteum, is secreting progesterone. And you're hoping, well, maybe not you, but your body is, is waiting for fertilization of that egg. So there's sort of two different main hormonal environments. Of course, in the follicular phase, we have your bleed week, which we've kind of touched on, which is very obvious. Everyone knows when they're on their period. That's, you know, the first, you know, and you may bleed anywhere from like three to seven days. Anything more than seven is too long, Uh, but the average is about four to five days. The average menstruator will, will menstruate for four to five days. And in that week, when we think about the hormonal environment in your bleed week, or we'll just call it week one, right? So week one, what we see is what's happening is of course the endometrial lining is shedding. So we have a, in week four, there's like a really big drop in progesterone and estrogen. The tissue in the endometrial lining becomes, it doesn't get any more nutrients and it dies and it starts to shed. That's what your bleed is. Hormonally, we see a lot of things. It almost feels like a relief for many women. So we see estrogen is low. Progesterone is now not there anymore. The only hormone that's kind of hanging around, if you will, is something called follicular stimulating hormone or FSH, Mm -hmm. follicular stimulating hormone. And what she's doing is she's kind of what her name suggests is she's, her role is to stimulate the follicle. So there was, I mentioned before, many follicles will start to develop under FSH, but one main one will be chosen. So that's sort of week one, when we move into week two, this is the week before you ovulate. So this is your pre ovulatory week. And there's a whole bunch of things that start happening here. That's really interesting and really cool. So towards the end of your bleed week, your, I mentioned estrogen is low, but towards the end of week one, your estrogen starts to rise specifically estradiol, which is the main estrogen that we see in women in their reproductive years. This is a little like asterisk, you know, as we move towards menopause, of course, estradiol starts to decrease. We start to see estrone, another uh, weaker form of estrogen increasing, but for most women, estradiol is the big thing that we're looking for in that second week. Mm-hmm. So we start to see this big rise in estrogen and estradiol in week two, and she reaches estradiol reaches her peak at about day 10 or 11 in week two. So if you're counting from day one is the day of your period about day 10 ish is when we see that big spike in estrogen. And this is a really important hormone it's trophic, right? There's, we have estrogen receptors all over the body, brain, lungs, heart, our fat tissue, like every single cell that you can imagine has an estrogen receptor on it. Plumps up our cheeks, you know, whitens our eyes, plumps up our lips. It's like natural filler. And then the other thing that we see in week two, which I I always find really fascinating is we also see a spike in testosterone. So testosterone is a really important hormone for women phenotypically. We often think about estrogen as the female hormone. Testosterone is the male hormone. But one of the things that I don't think enough people recognize is testosterone's actually higher in concentration in women than estrogen is and actually by 10 to 20 times more. So we testosterone is very, very important for us. Of course it's famous for libido, right? I always make the joke. Like I always know when my testosterone peaking cause I'm chasing my partner, like around <laughs> the kitchen Island, you know, <laughs> cause I'm like, Hey, <laughs> where like, you're just much more receptive to um, there's more sensitivity. Like it, it proves the sensitivity of the clitoris. You are also just more receptive to sex. So testosterone is really like the libido it's famous for that, but it also has a lot of other important characteristics to our experience as females. One, of course, it's involved in maintaining and helping to grow lean muscle mass, Mm -hmm. but it's also involved in our ability to take risks, our confidence, our ability to assert ourselves. And I think so many women, when we start to see testosterone, it naturally declines. If you're not doing anything about it, they will often say, gosh, like, you know, my gusto, like my get up and go, like my confidence, my ability to trust myself has really changed over the last five to 10 years. So Mm -hmm. testosterone is really important for our personality as well. So those are kind of the big things that happen. The other really big event hormonally in that second week is we see luteinizing hormone also spike. So you need that spike in estradiol to get the spike in luteinizing hormone. And I know that these are a lot of words. I always sort of make caricatures of them. And this is my I always anthropomorphize everything. So like the luteinizing hormone for me is the uncle that comes in after the family's all gathered. And it's like, Hey, where's the food? You know? And like, I, we have an uncle like that in our, in our family. So I sort of (laughs) think about him and he'll come in. Like, I remember one year it was Thanksgiving and he came in and he, came to see me, like kind of hit me on the back of my, right at the top of my neck. He's like, how you doing kid? i <laughs> like, I like almost spit out my food. And that's sort of what luteinizing hormone does. Like kind of comes in like a bat out of, out of nowhere and luteinizing hormones job is to try and get the follicle to release the egg, which is ovulation. The main event actually of your period, it's not, or your cycle, I should say your period popular girl gets all the attention, right? Ovulation is actually the main event. It's why you have this cycle. And this is why we want to, whether or not you want to have a child or have babies, we want to be thinking about how we can optimize for ovulation because that is a marker for our fertility and our vitality. Mm. So the egg is released and then we enter into this luteal phase, as I mentioned. So the follicle no longer has the egg. It changes into, now we start calling it the corpus luteum. It starts secreting progesterone. And this is where we actually see progesterone. So we haven't seen her at all in the first two weeks now progesterone starts to increase under, because we have that corpus luteum secreting progesterone and progesterone is very warming. Yeah. It warms up our core body temperature. So if you are somebody who tracks your basal body temperature, or maybe you wear like an Oura ring, you may notice that around the time of ovulation, that your core body temperature rises an important note. If you're trying to get pregnant, you've already ovulated Once you see that spike, you've already ovulated. Mm -hmm. And this is important because your egg that's released can only live for, you know, depending on your age and health of the eggs, four to 24 hours. So you have hours to get pregnant. Like, wow. I I did not know
0: that, Stephanie. (laughs) I
1: thought it was like a day, but by hours, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like up to a maximum of about 24 hours. So up to a day, right? You are fertile, but this like flies in the, like when so many women, when I tell that to them, they're like, what, you know, and I remember myself and I'm not poo-pooing any religion, but I grew up Roman Catholic. And it's like, I used to think that I could go into a swimming pool and get pregnant. Like anytime I had no idea how it worked. Right. So it's important to note that your egg is only viable for up to 24 hours. So progesterone is, as I mentioned, very warming helps to calm us down. You'll probably get some of your best sleep in this sort of week three of your menstrual cycle. And then it reaches progesterone reaches her peak day 21, 22 ish, depending on the length of your cycle. Maybe some, some cases you'll see day 19 as well. And then we move into week four which is now where everything kind of drops off. So we have this sort of sustained estrogen and progesterone that we've been seeing in week 3. The body recognizes there's no fertilization. So she says, "Okay, we got to like we got to start this again. We're not going to invest any more in this. We have to get rid of this. We have to shed, we have to start anew." So you'll see a marked drop in progesterone, a marked drop in estrogen. And that's what I was mentioning at the beginning. Now the endometrial lining, which has been getting really big and fluffy, right? Your body has been throwing like all of this energy to grow this endometrial lining. Now that has to shed, which ends up being your period. And we start the cycle again.
0: I am so fascinated with women's hormones. And like you mentioned earlier, we are not little men. Our bodies are way more complicated. And there's actually something you mentioned in another interview where, you know, if we were able to just live our life with a cyclical nature of a woman, like push when you can and break when it's important, right? Our energy levels are changing throughout everything you described. And just being educated about that is so empowering as a woman.
1: Yes. I really, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that As women who have grown up in a largely patriarchal society, not understanding the hormonal milieu that we just described, we think, well, we have to do it just like them, you know, and if you sort of think about even just corporate culture, right, I know a lot of your audience, they're business savvy, maybe they're entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs. You know, when you actually just think about corporate culture, it's based very much in male circadian rhythms, right? It's like, get to the office really early before anyone else is there. And then maybe you take a client out for lunch and then... We have the five to seven happy hour or, you know, the drinks or whatever at five to seven. And then you come home, you know, at some point after that, and that's just every single day, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't have a, here's like your pre-ovulatory week and here's your luteal phase. You know, it's like, that's what corporate culture is. And I think for women, when we can understand that, we can match that energy, like that corporate culture. We are much more aligned with that. When we are typically in week two of our cycle, we have that testosterone. Remember I was saying it has this like personality changes, right? You're much more confident and you're, you actually tend to be more extroverted that week. There is a lot of energy that is going into creating this egg that's housed within the follicle. And it's I mean, it's, it's my opinion that it's sacred. This is sacred energy to help you move towards your goals. So you may feel like you can people more this week. You may feel like you can socialize more this week. And if those are meeting your goals for whatever it is that you have this cycle, this quarter, this year go for it. But there's also other times in the cycle where we're not as extroverted. And in fact, I'd argue that we're much more introverted, you know, like in the luteal phase, this is sort of a time to go inward, particularly that fourth week. I talk a little bit about this in the book, but a lot of People sort of like roll their eyes when we talk about PMS. It's like, oh, it's woman time. It be, is this PMS? Which, by the way, never ask a woman that. That's never appropriate. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Like, never do that. But a lot of times that week in particular, there's something that is called the negativity bias, where because of the changing hormones that we are experiencing, We can look at some of the things in our life and those things start to annoy us. So it could be your boss. It could be your coworkers. It could be your partner. It could be your kids. It could be your friendship. It could be your relationship with your mother, you know, whatever it is. But what I like to think about is instead of you saying, oh, gosh, my PMS, like I just can't, you know, I can't deal. I would listen to and pay attention to the things that are coming up for you. Like if it's the boss every month where you just can't deal with your boss every month, you know, around this time in your cycle, maybe this is your body's way of just nudging you. That's telling you, maybe this is not the right fit for you, you know, or if it's a coworker or it's like, you're just, you can't deal with your career, or there's a conversation that you've been avoiding with your mother or your partner and your partner's just getting on your nerves, no matter what. This is your body's way of telling you, "Hey, these are the things where we're misaligned in life. Yeah. So for the next cycle, for the next twenty eight or twenty nine days, perhaps you can use the energy that we're going to generate in week one and week two, where you get that you know that you get that expansion of energy to be able to have the confidence to have this difficult conversation or to change jobs as much as I like to think of myself as, someone who's smart and intelligent. I am in, I have orders of magnitude, less intelligent than my body is my body always knows. So when you can tap into the wisdom of your body, then you can start to make decisions that are aligned with maybe your highest version of yourself is. So yes, I mean, I sort of went off there, but I think that there's definitely times in the cycle where we want to be, we want to be introspective, like what's working, what's not working. How can I change that when I know that I'm coming up to that big expansive energy again in the next week or two?
0: Exactly. I love this, Stephanie. And I'd love to get your perspective. You know, so many of us and I'm still working through this. I'm trying to be more in tune with my body, right? Like one step is just tracking, understanding my menstrual cycle. But what do you recommend to some of your patients in terms of tips or rituals that help you be in tuned with your body so you can live this more ebbs and flow type of life and feel empowered when you want to feel and be reflective when it's that time of the month?
1: Well, I think one of the best tips is one that you just said, track your cycle, like no first understand the hormones that we just talked about, and then start to collect data. You'll understand when your testosterone is swelling, you'll understand when it's time to retreat. So that would be number one. I think that there are a couple of things that I think are really important. This is maybe me getting a little woo, but we're going to go there. No, I'm
0: all about it. Let's do it. All (laughs) right.
1: I actually like to follow the lunar cycle. So I think that the moon, and even if you just think about our cycles are about 28, 29 days, the moons, the lunar cycle, about 28, 29 days. I actually like to set intentions around the new moon. So the new moon is where, you know, when you look up in the sky, you can't actually see it. It's not there. And this is a time, you know, if we were to think, you know, if there's like an equivalent time in your menstrual cycle, you don't need to have, be in the same stage of your menstrual cycle, but what would be akin would be your bleed week, right? Mm -hmm. So when you are shedding, when you are letting go, you know, the new moon, when you see that's the beginning of what would be week one, you can say, what, what are the things that I need to let go of? Because you've just come off of that negativity bias in week four. You're just like, hey, the boss, this is this job isn't working. Maybe this relationship isn't working. I need to set boundaries with mom. This is the time for you to let go of fears, of limitations, of negative self-talk. So I often will do a little, it's like a little ritual. It's nothing, you know, nothing elaborate, but I'll just try to be outside and I'll sit outside. I'll write some of the things that I'm going to let go for the next cycle. Maybe that's beliefs about myself. Maybe that's, I'm scared to have this conversation with someone that's really important to me and then I'll burn it. So I have like a big be safe, right? We have like, a don't try this at home. If you don't have the proper support, but just like a stainless steel kind of big, it's like a salad bowl that I have anyway. So I just like burn it. And then I just like sprinkle the ashes in my backyard. So that's what I do for setting intentions. And then around, around the full moon, that big energy, I like to call it big ovary energy. Like that's where you have all of your testosterone swelling, estrogen swelling. You're like extroverted, you're peopling, all that. I also like to think about what can I manifest now? Mm. So what can I call in? I will borrow this from Dr. Christiane Northrup. I remember having, reading her book, women's body, women's wisdom, like decades ago. And I was like, damn. But she talks about something called egg wisdom. Uh And when we release the egg, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, it's not going to be exactly the way she, you know, so eloquently describes it, but when you release the egg, the egg doesn't go like running around up and down the fallopian tubes, like looking for the sperm. She just hangs out there like the queen that she is. Right. And she sends out a signal that lets the sperm know that she's ready. And of course it's the sperm that like are jockeying, you know, like they're swimming up and they're trying to get in. And I think that that's true. (laughs) I think that we should also, we should be embodying that egg wisdom. We don't have to push so Mm. hard to get what we want. We can just sit and call it in and say, I'm ready for this now. You can come to me. So I like the idea of harnessing the power of my womb space, if you will, to call in and manifest the things that are really important to me. Those are some things that I like to do. And it's like every two weeks. So it's just a nice constant little ritual that reminds you to to kind of get back to who you are and what why you're here and what you want to be doing.
0: Exactly. And I love the intentionality behind that. And you're just taking the time to really reflect, think about yourself, put your manifestations down. And how often are we doing that in our day-to-day life? So that's such a great way to just take a step back. I, I love that, Stephanie. I'm going to have to get on that. So another topic I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned going back a little bit when you were in Italy, you came back, you had a better menstrual cycle. You were so curious to understand why. So you dive deep into so many different aspects. I'd love to learn more about how did it change your approach in terms of diet and nutrition with your clients? Like what are all the magical gems you learned about, about that?
1: Oh, this is good. So one of the things I didn't mention was when I came back home from Italy, I was already actually running a nutrition program in the clinic, but like, you know, many probably women were doing at the time, or maybe it was just me. I'm a slow learner. I was just doing keto. It was a ketogenic diet and it was just like, all the other guys were doing sort of in the, on like I was following like Mark Sisson and, you know, Dom D'Agostino and all these people who I look up to, like I have so much respect for Dom and for, and for Mark, they do really great things. Recently actually had a conversation with Dom around keto for women. And he's actually observed some of the same things that I have, but I was running it like a typical ketogenic diet and was already seeing men, especially it was very evident when it was a husband and wife couple that had signed up for the program together. Cause the guy would come in and be like, doc, this is the best. Like I've lost like 20 pounds. I feel so great. You know, I have so much energy and sleeping, like, you know, sleeping like a log and like the woman sort of like, you know, coming in behind him and he's like, I don't get it, man. Like we're eating the same Things and I've lost maybe two pounds, but it's been so restrictive. I'm not sleeping well. So I was already seeing that there was a difference between men and women with this application of nutrition. And in this case, it was a ketogenic diet. And so when I came back from Italy, I was like, okay, I'm going to start with my own N of one. I'm going to start like playing with my own diet so that I can start tweaking things along with my menstrual cycle to see if that changes. So I had already understood that I was less hungry in like week one and two and more hungry in week three and four. And I had sort of garnished that from like years of trying to diet, (laughs) eat the same way anyway through the month. It never worked for me. I always fell off the bandwagon week three or four rocking in the corner after like cleaning out the pantry. I sort of already had a sense of that, but what I started doing was playing with keto Mm -hmm. playing with different types of fasts in different phases of the menstrual cycle. And then what sort of came about when I started noticing those things in myself, I started, I asked a couple of the women who were in the program. I was like, can we just play with a few things? Like, I just want to see if we can play with a couple of things in terms of where you are with your menstrual cycle and how we pair macronutrients. And so that was really the birth of what I would call phase two now of the Estima diet, which is a cyclical approach to keto where we are one week on one week off. So the week on keto is usually the first, like it's your bleed week. Typically I like a 70, 20, 10. So 70% fat 20% 20% protein, 10% carbohydrates. Because we're we generally, because progesterone isn't there anymore. One of the things I didn't mention is progesterone is an appetite stimulant. So the reason mm. why we get cravings in the week three and four is because progesterone, you know, is sort of at play and increasing your appetite, it's warming. So there's more metabolic expenditure. So you're naturally hungrier. So started playing with that. Week one is keto. And then in week two, with that swelling of energy what I wanted to, and this was sort of a blend of my want to also lift really heavy this week. I increased the protein from 20% to 40%, Mm -hmm. increased the carbohydrates from 10% to 20%, and then pulled the fat back down. And this was because I was trying to capitalize or profit off of testosterone's peak. Of course, testosterone, as I mentioned, really important for lean muscle mass. And the other reason for that as well is when you're in, as a woman, when you're just doing keto, you're let's say it's at 70, 20, 10 composition. When you do that over a long Delta, like you do that for months, years, it can really, in some women, not all women, but in some women really affect their thyroid, Mm. um, which is a really important organ for metabolism. So this kind of increasing the protein and increasing the carbohydrates in that week two. And we also do it in in week four as well, was my solution to help keep the thyroid robust and healthy, and also to keep women insulin sensitive, because Mm. paradoxically you would never think that this would happen, but it happened over and over and over again, women who I originally had just in keto, it was like keto or bust for like months and months and months, they became very insulin insensitive. So if you don't know what that means, it's basically when you are not consuming enough
0: carbohydrates,
1: you don't have that insulinergic response. And then your cells are like, well, I guess we don't need these receptors. You know, so they kind of downregulate their sensitivity to insulin. You would think that the opposite would be true that, oh, I'm not having carbs. Therefore I'm super insulin sensitive. And that's true in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. But if
1: you overdo it, you actually move into the insulin insensitivity realm. So giving yourself a little bolus of carbohydrate, like one week on, one week off, is a way to also continue that insulin sensitization for women over the long term, which is really important as we age. So that's yeah, I was just one gonna ask,
0: what are some of the benefits of, of that?
1: Yeah. So as we age, we naturally become more insulin resistant or insulin insensitive. Mm -hmm. So constantly like kind of taking it away, loading the spring and then allowing the spring to sort of pop is a way for us to remain insulin sensitive. The other thing that's, it's important for, and this is kind of coming back to lean muscle mass again is as we age, unfortunately, if we're not doing anything about it, our muscles actually become resistant to growing. It's called anabolic resistance. So it's harder for you as let's say a 70-year-old woman to build muscle versus if you are a 40-year-old woman or a 30-year-old woman. So increasing that protein and carbohydrate is really a way to also prophylactically get around that anabolic resistance as well. Mm. So those are one of the things we want to think about whenever we're thinking about a way of eating is what's going to work for me right now to get whatever result it is that I need, whether it's weight loss or improving brain fog or reducing inflammation, improving my cholesterol, you know, whatever the short-term goal is, but then what's the long game. If this is just going to work for a month or two, and then I'm just going to go back to eating the way that I was and repeat the same mistakes. It's not really a solution. It's just like a little band-aid. It's, it would be the same as taking a medication. It sort of covers up temporarily what the problem is, but it doesn't actually address the root cause. So one of the things that I take people through is, you know, what I would call phase one of the Estima diet, which is just 70, 20, 10. We do that for one cycle. Mm -hmm. And then we move into this cyclical approach so that you can do it over a longer period of time. And it's gentler on your system. As women, we are exquisitely sensitive to changes in our macronutrient environment, so much more so than our male counterparts. Like guys can fast. Yeah. And function <laughs> like Dom D'Agostino, very famously fasted seven days. And then went and deadlifted, like, I don't know, 700 pounds or something. And it's like, okay, he's a beast. He's amazing. I bow down to you, but I can't do that. Yeah. You know, as a woman, I can, I can't fast for that. And I've tried, let me tell you recovering type a I've <laughs> tried it. It doesn't work well for at least my menstrual cycle was very unhappy with me for yes. several months afterwards. So we want to be thinking about How can we be gentle with ourselves? Like if we want to feel good in our skin, if we want to, maybe we want to lose a little bit of weight. Maybe we want to improve our energy. Another sort of piece to it is how can we do something that feels good? And it doesn't always feel like we're punishing ourselves. Like it feels overly restrictive and overly punitive because you might be able to do that for four months or six months, but once you fall off and I guarantee that you will, You're not going to want to get back on that train because all you're going to remember is how painful that was. So how can we make things easy? And I think that health and eating should be easy. I think that it should be something that we give ourselves a lot more grace and ease around. So that's me kind of going off on a, in a different direction. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's how ex- I feel about it.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's important. I mean, even just understanding your body in terms of leading up to your period, you're generally more hungry. And I think what I've noticed for myself, I'm not intentionally under eating, but I'm realizing I'm not eating enough. Yes. And once I increase my protein, I'm realizing, Oh my goodness, my periods are way more manageable. I mean like night and day. So in terms of nutrition, you know, it's game changing. And I think it goes back to what you mentioned, making sure you feel good all the time. I always talk about my friend loves a bone broth diet. I tried it for one day, Stephanie, I was miserable. I couldn't function at work. I was eating carrots and I'm like, this doesn't make me feel good. And we shouldn't be putting our bodies through that if that's what you're feeling like. So I think just being in tune with your body and, you know, knowing that eating the right foods can make a world of a difference. So I, you know, we'll definitely share more details on the Estima method. So people can go into more detail there, but I just love that. I could talk about nutrition and its impact to health all day, every day. So that's, uh, I love,
1: and one of the things I love about Bia is that you are talking about seed cycling, right? So how we can be giving ourselves nutrients at certain parts of the cycle that we may need. We need more in the follicular phase versus in the luteal phase like, this is your business here is very much in line with what I'm trying to say, which is we're not the same every single day. We are different. We are different every single day of the cycle. So why don't we just start to have to amass tools like the seed cycling kit that you have so that we know in the follicular phase, we're taking this supplement. And then when we move into the luteal phase, we're taking this supplement. That's, I mean, that's really all that I really want women to understand is that we're not the same men never have a menstrual cycle. You know, they never have that. I mean, they have a testosterone cycle, which is more of a circadian, like day-to-day thing. We have like a month thing with testosterone. So we have to really recognize the subtle differences between, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of our physiology. So that's why, you know, I'm also so excited for your product. I think it's going to be so transformational for so many women.
0: Thank you so much, Stephanie. Yeah, it changed my life. And I thought all of this was woo-woo. But once I realized it works, I'm like, we need to just educate every single woman out there just about their bodies and hormones. But I so appreciate that and all the work that you do as well. And one thing I want to touch upon in terms of just nutrition and syncing that with your cycle, I want to talk about exercise, right? There's so much to dig into there. And I think there's not enough education around women listening who might be pushing when they shouldn't be pushing at those certain times of the month. So I'd love to get your thoughts and perspective around that.
1: Sure. Yeah. This is another piece where I think we're not little men. And we actually see in the literature when we push, as you mentioned, we end up getting injured. So there are a couple of different things that I talk about as it relates to changing the way that we exercise over the course of our menstrual cycle. So for a lot of women, when they first sort of embark on this journey, they might be like, God, I don't feel like I got my period. I don't feel like working out. And that's totally fine i actually the first day of my period i actually like to walk so i'm right now i'm standing on my treadmill i'm standing i'm not walking but i have a treadmill that i actually like to try and get around 12,000 to 15,000 steps day 1 and day 2 of my cycle i sometimes i'll take a I'll, I'll often take a break from weight training and that nice gentle movement right that low level steady state is really really lubricating for all the joints in the low back which a lot of women will hmm. experience like kind of low back cramping with the uterus sort of contracting and stuff. Um, cause there's some nerve overlap there. So walking is a really beautiful thing that you can do. You don't have to work out. You're not failing if you don't, if you, you know, if you choose not to, but as you sort of get into the rhythm of your cycle, you know, maybe your day three or day four, Starting to lift weights, I think, and I'm a big, I will state my bias from the beginning. I love weights. I think every woman should lift weights. You won't get bulky. You you know, you are going to develop beautiful, strong muscles so that you can be, you know, you can look fabulous right now, but you also look fabulous 20, 40, you know, 60 years from now. So moderate weights, I actually like here in week one. So I define moderate as like eight reps to 10, you know, maybe at a maximum of 12 repetitions. And it should be hard. Like the last three reps should be, you don't want to do any (laughs) more. You know, like you can still execute perfect form. There's no more that you want to do after about 10 or 11 reps. In week two, we talked about estrogen rising, testosterone rising. These are both trophic hormones, anabolic hormones. We want to be lifting heavy. So this is the week where I really like five to seven reps. Like I want you, maybe you need a spotter if you, you know, if you're working out at a gym, but this should be super heavy weights. Like your aim here is to rip the, the my, like the, the myofibro, like the sarcomere, like you want to be, you want to be destroying the muscle so that it can build back up stronger. Actually, let me also just back up for a moment and talk about cardio because cardio is great. You know, lots of cardiopulmonary benefits from it. I think as a general rule, women do too much of it. Mm. So we are often so committed to doing three, four, six, you know, six days a week doing cardio. And a lot of times it's like high intensity interval training. And I think that tying this back to what we were talking at the top of our conversation around stress Exercise is a stress. It is a use stress. It is a good type of stress when used appropriately, but you can also overdo it. So if you are doing like a crazy spin, some type of like high intensity workout five times a week, four times a week, you're sending the signal to your body that you are Always stressed out. Like your body's like, why are we running from a tiger five days of the week? Like, what's going on here? Right. So, this is going to jack up your cortisol. And then, of course, a lot of women will complain of like stubborn belly weight. This is Mm. usually cortisol. This is usually too much cortisol, too much of this cardiovascular work. So, if you are a cardio bunny, <laughs> that used to be me, <laughs> you can still do cardio. You can still do it, but I would just say like steady state one, if you are if you love your hit classes like one a week, maybe two, maybe two. And so you can do that, you know, you can choose what you feel like in terms of cardio in week 1, but it's in week 2 where we really have to be careful because we have this really sharp and abrupt rise in estrogen at the beginning of week 2. So it peaks at about day 10. And estrogen is is anabolic, as I mentioned, but it also has effects on our ligaments and our tendons. So estrogen makes our ligaments loosey goosey, makes them what we would call lax,
0: mm-hmm. and it
1: makes our tendons really stiff. So under the influence of estrogen, this is a great time to lift heavy weights because the tendon is stiffer. It's a terrible time for hit because if you are thinking about any type of burst movement like a burpee or sprinting or power jumps or you know whatever it is that you're doing you are putting an excessive amount of pressure on the ligaments in and around the joint. And we actually see this in the literature, women who are in their reproductive years tend to blow out big joints, like their shoulders and their knees, like the ACL in the knee in particular, because they are doing too much of this high intensity interval training. So I would kind of back off of hit in week two, like entirely, and then you can bring it back You know, in week three and week four, if you feel so called to do so. But again, once a week, maybe twice a week. And so when we move into the luteal phase, I actually like to repeat that pattern again. So back to moderate weights, because week three looks a lot like week one,
0: Mm.
1: where we see low estrogen in the beginning. And then we see kind of an increase in estrogen towards the end of week three. And then in week four, a lot of women will typically complain of more PMS. They tend to feel more inflamed. If you're still there, then I would say, decrease the weights and increase the repetition. Mm. So if you're lifting weights in week four, 15 to 20 reps, And the reason that I say don't, I mean, you can also take time off if you want, like you can, you know, do Pilates, you can do yoga, you can go for walks, but if you're still continuing to do resistance training, I like that because every time you contract your muscle, you release something called a myokine. It's a component of the immune system and it's an, it's anti-inflammatory. It brings down inflammation. And so many of our beautiful women in week four, they feel inflamed. So doing a lighter workout with higher reps can really help to, counteract that.
0: I love that. That's so important. I mean, I definitely was a cardio buddy back in the day. And I think the stress I was putting on myself from my lifestyle to working out, I mean, it was a recipe for disaster. No wonder my menstrual cycles were so horrible. Like it all makes sense now. So I'm so glad you walked through it. And, you know, I want to close on One question, Stephanie, that I'd love for you to answer. You know, if there's women listening today who feel like things are so bad for them for so long and they've given up hope that things can even get better in their life, what would you say to that woman who feels this way?
1: Well, I'd say that you're not alone, even though you feel maybe that somehow you're broken or that you don't work well. You are, as I am, as you are, you know, a, what what I like to call, we are geeky wonders of magic. Yeah. And when you are feeling terrible, let's say you have a really terrible menstrual cycle. Maybe you have, you know, hormonal derangements like estrogen dominance or androgen dominance or PCOS or any of the different HPA axis dysfunction. There's so many different ways that things can go awry. What I would invite you to do if you, if you feel called to do so is to take a moment to acknowledge the wisdom of your body and say, this is my body trying to tell me that something is off. And if you can learn the language of your body, and I promise it's not, you know, we talked about a lot of it today. If you can learn to decipher some of the messages that your body is telling you, then your hormones now are your superpower. And this is, I, I want every woman to get there where we know how to appropriately respond to our internal environment, as well as our external environment, when we need to get off Instagram, when we need to do a social media fast, which is another important way that we can fast, how to nourish ourselves, how to develop cellular grit. I promise you that There's been women before you that have felt exactly like you. There'll be women after you, but some of the simple things that we've been talking about today, changing the way that you eat over the course of your menstrual cycle, even just collecting data, you know, even if you say, Hey, I'm not ready for that yet, but I just want to kind of look and see how my body responds over the course of my cycle. You will be so much further ahead than like 90% of the population and know that healing is possible for you because your body's. I believe this all the way down to my mitochondria your body is built for healing Mm. your body has an innate wisdom inside it that drives every single cellular process to you know at the level of the cell the tissue the organ the gland the system your body knows how to heal you just need to give her some of the tools that she can use to begin your healing process
0: Oh, Stephanie, that is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait for our listeners to dig more into all your work and follow you and we'll put everything in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie.
1: It's been a delight. It's always great to spend time with you. So thank you for having me.